0: Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, Life Over Coffee. By the way, if you benefit from our podcast, Life Over Coffee, would you go on the platform that you're listening to this podcast episode, and would you give us a five-star rating and write a nice review? It's one of the ways that you can partner with us as we share the practical message of Christ globally. And so you can stop the audio now, write that review, give us a nice rating, and then come back. This is episode 386. The title of the episode is Six Resources to Help You Think About Our Cultural Crisis. Now, this is going to be different from what I normally do in a podcast episode, but the reason that I'm doing it is because the interplay between the Christian and secular worlds is relevant for all believers As Pilate said, what is truth? And we live in that place today where we are just unsure with the many messages that are coming to us. And so knowing what is truth is always a struggle for anyone, but especially when those who own the airwaves breathe out one-sided stories predominantly. This past week, I benefited from a few let's say, smaller voices in the airways, as they have shared contrary messages to the standard group think. These folks here talked about some of the most critical events in today's culture, and I am not suggesting that these six individuals own the truth. These six individuals are merely sharing resources that have an alternate opinion, and I benefited greatly from them, and that's why I am doing this podcast, episode 383, Six Resources to Help You Think About Cultural Crisis. I must keep my ear to the ground of the culture because our community lives there. Virtually every day, people are coming to me, are coming to us, and they're asking questions. They're wanting help. They want advice because they have concerns as they attempt to lead their families and their friends well, and though the world should not manage us, We must know how to engage it well. And so we are not of the world, but we are in the world. And on a very practical level, we have to know how to discern the the world well. And though these resources that I'm going to present to you, I don't entirely agree with all of these perspectives, but what I want you to hear is that it is evident that There are stark differences between what they believe and what they are presenting, either in the books that they have written that I'm going to share with you, the articles that they have written, or the videos that they have produced, that there is a difference between what they are sharing and the mainstream media. And when trying to discern what is truth, you must consider multiple opinions, I mean, this is one of the dangers, is that we tend to live in echo chambers, and that's a problem. And by the way, for those of you who have not watched the documentary, The Social Dilemma, I don't have it as one of my resources here, but I also commend it, because it talks about how technology is trying to divide the country by keeping us in our echo chambers and giving us the information that we want. But if we don't cross those lines and try to understand the opinion, opinions of other people and think outside of our group then we're setting ourselves up in a dangerous place Now, that is also the heart of biblical counseling. In biblical counseling, you're always listening to alternate opinions as people come to you and share what's going on in their lives. And they're sharing problems and dysfunction. Of course, they're sharing things that are anti-Bible. I mean, that's why they are in the dysfunction that they're in. And you have to have the maturity, the wisdom, the insight to be able to listen to those alternate opinions and then be able to bring truth to what you are hearing, and so we shouldn't run away from what other people uh, believe, uh, from the opinions that they hold, but unfortunately, uh, too many of us try to isolate ourselves, hunker down, and uh, insulate ourselves from what's going on in the culture, and we do that to our uh, detriment, and so it's it's vital to know that. By the way, these six resources that I'm going to share with you None of these, I don't know if any of these people are Christians. And some of them I know are definitely aren't Christians because they have shared that. And so the alternate views, these resources that I'm going to commend to you, they come from liberal or non Christian commentators. These resources do not come from my echo chamber, and it is important. And so uh, here are six things that I have benefited from in the the past week. There are two books, uh, there are two articles, and there are two videos. I think that's how it breaks down. And so I want to share them with you, and they aren't in any particular order. Uh, They're just how I've laid them out here in these show notes. And by the way, if you go to episode 383, you will be able to link to every one of these resources, and you can um, choose whether you want to read the books, read the articles, or watch the videos uh, yourself. Okay. All right. So the first one here, and I'm going to share the blurb that was given under each one of these resources. So this is not my commentary uh, on the resource. This is what the content publishers how presented to explain what the book, the video, or the article is about. I will, after I read the blurb, uh, share a couple of opinions and why I benefited from this particular resource. Again, episode 383, six resources to help you think about our cultural crisis. The first one is a book that I've just completed, and it's called Ordinary Men, and the subtitle is Reserve Police Battalion 101 and the Final Solution in Poland. This book was written by Christopher R. Browning, and here's the blurb that the publishers put out to explain this book. Ordinary Men is the true story of Reserve Police Battalion 101 of the German Order Police, which was responsible for mass shootings, as well as roundups of Jewish people for deportation to Nazi Nazi death camps in Poland in 1942. While this book discusses a specific reserve unit during World War II, the general argument Browning makes is that most people succumb to the pressures of a group setting and commit actions they would never do of their own volition. Ordinary Men is a powerful, chilling, and important work with themes and arguments that continue to resonate today. Now, that was the content publisher's blurb about this book called Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning. This was a stunning book. For those of you who have read Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, then you'll understand somewhat what this book is about. Fox's Book of Martyrs is basically a written documentary on Christians who were put to death in so many different ways um, hundreds of years ago. And it's an excellent treatment. It's a very difficult read because it's just a book about death, about people being persecuted. Fox's, John Fox, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Well, this book is very similar to that. Uh, but what it's talking about specifically is this particular battalion, the Reserve Police Battalion 101. And it it was uh, constituted uh, by Nazi Germany, and their responsibility was to go out and to find Jews and basically kill them. And so much of this book is stories of Jews that they killed. I'll give you one illustration, that uh, they went into a hospital where uh, there were 50 jews who were malnourished and they were emaciated and they were all laid in beds this battalion 101 went into this hospital and just started spraying bullets that was their job kill jews there's other stories of where you know they would go into a town they would grab 200 or so and they would take them to a designated area and then kill them and have a mass burial, uh, put them in a hole, and so forth. And it's story after story after story. And and so there's a lot of research here that Christopher Browning did to uh, validate uh, what he is sharing. But then as this blurb said, that there is a, a general theme that he's also trying to communicate, and it's this. And it's in the title of the book, Ordinary Men. These were just ordinary men. These were your neighbors and my neighbors who were brainwashed or gaslit to such a degree that they chose to sign up to be part of Reserve Police Battalion 101. And the question that's asked throughout this book is how can ordinary men choose to to shoot, to kill their fellow citizens, fellow citizens who were different from them. And so when a country divides the country into two groups and then gaslights one group uh, to, to the point, to where they are energized or radicalized, to where they want to go out and kill other people. We're in a very dangerous place. And so this book obviously has relevance today. Now, there were three types of ordinary men that Christopher Browning talked about in the book. There was one type in this battalion that enjoyed. They looked to do this. They wanted to go out and kill uh, Jewish people. And then there was a second group that was part of the battalion, and they had multiple battalions. This is just Battalion 101, but they had a second group uh, who had reservations about doing it, but they did it anyway. This is the self-censoring group. This is the person that went along with the flow, even though uh, they were against it, and they participated in killing Jewish uh, people. And then there was a third group of people who were against it, but they were a part of the group, but they did all that they could do not to kill Jewish people, but yet not take a stand because their own life would be on the line. And so it's it's still self-censoring, like the middle group, uh, but yet they tried not to kill Jewish people. For example, when The battalion went into the hospital where 50 Jewish people were emaciated and malnourished. Uh, There was one particular individual when he was uh, shooting his gun, spraying bullets all over the place. Uh, Christopher Browning said that he sprayed wide meaning he didn't hit any of the Jewish people. So he was participating, but he did not want to be there. His battalion commander saw what he was doing. He admonished him and said that he was going to report him, and according to Browning, that he did not uh, report him. So the point of the book is that ordinary men can be radicalized. Your neighbor, my neighbor, you, me, can be radicalized to the point to where we can kill fellow human beings. And we have a precedent for this, and that's what this book communicates. Ordinary Men, Reserve Police Battalion 101, and the Final Solution in Poland by Christopher Browning. And then there was a uh, an article that I read this week, and it was written by Abigail Schreier. Uh, this article is titled, What I Told the Students at Princeton. Abigail said, I was so honored tonight to be hosted by the Princeton Tory, the Witherspoon Institute, and the Tikva Fund. The undergraduates I met tonight were clear-sighted and brilliant and astonishingly, astonishingly well-read. There's so much on their shoulders. Here was my message to them. And then you can click on the link here, and it will take you to, to this article by Abigail Schreier. I have followed uh, Abigail's uh, work over the past couple of years. She's the lady that wrote the book Irreversible Damage, uh, What the Transgender craze is doing to our young kids. Uh, I've taken a lot of information from that book. I have a one-hour webinar on our website. It's free to you. You can watch it on transgenderism. I gave that uh, webinar Presented that webinar in Colorado to a church that asked me specifically uh, to do it, and it's a lot of information that I adapted from Abigail Schreier's work. And so I have been reading a lot of her content on uh, Substack, and this article. It came from her platform on Substack, and I read it, and it is one of the uh, most—this is on freedom of speech, and this is what her uh, message was about uh, to the Princeton students on freedom of speech and not self-censoring, which is really a good— supplemental read to the book that I just referenced, uh, Ordinary Men, because this is our danger. And I I will tell you that if you read anything or look at anything that I present to you out of these six resources, read that article. It is the most stunning, vibrant, courageous, refreshing, relevant Powerful article that I have read in a long time, and I've read it a couple of times. It's an amazing article, uh, and I, I just can't I can't commend it enough. Again, uh, Abigail Schreier is Jewish. I, d- I doubt, I don't know if she's a believer, I, d- I doubt that she is, but one of the cool things that I want you to hear is because of the nature of the crisis that's been happening in our country over the past decade, that there are a lot of people who are, who are what I call politically homeless, meaning that these are hard left people or liberal people, maybe not hard left, but historically they've been liberal people, but now they are not beholding to what the liberals are doing in our country. But yet they won't become conservative like me and like many of you, and so they're living in this land of wandering, like political, they're politically homeless. They have no place to land, and so now they are giving their voice against what is going on on the left side of the political aisle. And that's one of the things that's so refreshing about these resources, and it's one of the reasons that I want to introduce some of these people to you, and I want you to uh, know what they are putting out there, because these people aren't in our echo chamber for the most part. They are not beholding to Christ. They do not love God or his word. Some of them are outright atheists, but yet they are so concerned. Uh, that they have moved, they're moving from their leftist leanings and they're moving t- to some kind of centrist position, and they're writing content that for many of you it will just be very hard to argue with. And I don't think any of you will be able to argue against what Abigail Schreier has done here with this article titled What I Told the Students at Princeton. And and to put that in context, by the way. These are students at a major Ivy League university that she's talking to. Now, there was a huge protest about her being there, uh, as you as you might imagine, but she did give the speech, and it's been well circulated, and so I'm very glad that there are people not like us that are standing for some of the values that are important uh, to us, and so this is an article by Abigail Schreier. And then there's a second article that I read uh, this past week, and it's by a writer for The Atlantic. Her name is Caitlin Flanagan. Now, The Atlantic has gone more liberal over the past 20 years. Caitlin Flanagan came uh, to The Atlantic around circa 2000, and so she is a holdover uh, to the current liberal uh, Atlantic. Uh, But she wrote an article, and the title of it is The The Dishonesty of the Abortion Debate. Now, there was not a blurb for this particular article. She just launched right into it, and so I pulled out uh, one small couple sentences inside this article. I'll share those with you now, and then I'll make a a couple of comments about Caitlin Flanagan's article titled The Dishonesty of the Abortion Debate. Here's a quote from the article. The argument for abortion, if made honestly, requires many words. It must evoke the recent past, the dire consequences to women of making a very simple medical procedure illegal. The argument against it, it doesn't take even a single word. The argument against it is a picture. She's talking about an ultrasound. And so she says that the argument for abortion takes many words. The argument against abortion doesn't take a single word. It just takes a picture, an ultrasound. Now, the thing, there's several things about this article that are helpful to understand. Uh, well, one, who uh, Caitlin Fl- Flanagan is. C- Caitlin Flanagan is the sister-in-law to uh, Andrew Claven. As some of you may know, Andrew Claven, a fictional writer. He's written several books. Uh, he's also uh, one of the main people on The Daily Wire, which is uh, Ben Shapiro's uh, organization or what he uh, he's, he's a partner in that organization, The Daily Wire. And Andrew Claven is a part of that team, The Daily Wire, and he does a podcast every Friday every Friday evening. Well Caitlin, uh, Andrew married Caitlin's uh, sister. And so... Uh, Andrew and Kate, Caitlin are related uh, through marriage, just to give you some context. And so Caitlin Flanagan is about 60 years of age, and again, she's been writing for The Atlantic for, you know, since around uh, 2000. Now, one of the things that, one of her points is, is that if you're going to argue something, then uh, you need to understand the other side. Now, this is critical in doing biblical counseling. This is what I was saying earlier, that if you are not willing, to go to the other side and hear a story that is different from what you believe then you're not going to be able to help anybody really it's simple parenting you know not understanding your parent or not or your child not understanding your wife not understanding a friend who believes differently from you. And so she's making a strong case that we need to listen to the other side so that we can develop our arguments. We either change our arguments, uh, maybe we even change our beliefs completely. Uh, But if, if our truth can't stand against the arguments then what kind of truth do we have and so th- that's a good point that she is making and then uh, she begins to explain uh, the argument for less for the pro choice side she also explains the pro life side as well which is partly of what I read to you in this quote here, uh, the argument uh, really doesn't take a single word, it just takes an ultrasound. But she talks about the pro-choice side, and she talks about illegal abortions uh, with clothes hangers, and she spends a, a lot of time talking about uh, how Lysol, uh, the, the, cleansing, um, the cleansing liquid, uh, Lysol that, that's still sold today, I believe. But it used to be – Lysol used to put subtle messages in their advertisement that you can use uh, Lysol as a feminine hygiene product that basically would allow you to abort your baby. And it was promoted that way, and it was generally understood. And I'm talking about in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And she shares a couple of stories of three women – I believe it was three – Uh, who used Lysol to kill their babies. One or two of the women died, one of the women women survived, but they used it to abort their babies. And so her point is that this has a lot to do with the pro-choice movement, and there's a lot to say there, but it's important to understand why some people are so adamant about uh, pro-choice. Uh, and when you begin to understand those stories, you can see their point, uh, even though there is a huge problem. Of course, what Caitlin is suggesting by that argument is that we should enable them, well, if women are going to kill their babies uh, through these horrific means of clothes hangers or Lysol, then we should just make it legal. That's the enabling argument, and of course we don't believe in enabling as a solution. You know, if your son is sinning, then rather than dealing with the sin, you just enable him as a way to mitigate potential sinful events in in the future. And so the way that they have mitigated these horrific abortion solutions is they've made it legal. But And, of course, enabling is not the right answer, but nevertheless, uh, Caitlin uh, presents that argument, and it's an excellent article titled, The Dishonesty of the Abortion Debate. The last three resources all have to do with COVID. Uh, The first one is a TED Talk, a video that was given by Ben Goldacre. Ben Goldacre is a doctor, I believe, and the title of this video, this TED Talk, What Doctors Don't Know About the Medicine They Prescribe. And so he's taking it up another level. He's not talking about the doctors who prescribe medicine to their patients. He's talking about a higher level where uh, research is peer-reviewed. And once it's peer-reviewed, to go in JAMA, uh, the journal for medical uh, folks, whether it goes in JAMA or other articles or or other journals or not, uh, when it's peer-reviewed, some research is permitted and some research is not, and it's called publication bias. This video was done in 2012, not last year, not in the last couple of years uh, by Ben Goldacre, and he's talking about publication bias, where if uh, people uh, research and do the investigation, and, and this product, they say it's good, and then it goes through other trials, and it comes to find out that through these other trials that the original trial is not valid well, then these journals do not publish the negative trials that would unsubstantiate the positive trial. So it's called publication bias, information bias. He calls it publication bias. And he says this is a contagion, that this happens over and over again, not just in the medical community. It also happens in the psychological community. Uh, It happens across all the communities to where uh, someone is putting forth their truth and then later on comes to find out that – There are many trials uh, that would de-support that initial uh, trial, but they won't publish it, and so this is a revelation uh, video from TED Talk, and it's like 12 minutes, and it would be interesting to watch. And then uh, I watched or listened to a podcast uh, from the Dark Horse podcast that is led by uh, Brett, uh, Brett Weinstein, where he interviewed Dr. Peter McCullough. Dr. Peter McCullough is an academic internist, cardiologist, and trained uh, uh, epidemiologist located in Dallas, Texas. He speaks with Brett regarding uh, what a wise response to COVID would look like. This was a stunning interview. Uh, Brett Weinstein, some of you may know that he and his wife, Heather Hying, were professors at Evergreen State College in Washington, and that was a big mess uh, when he would not stand down because they were trying to censor him, and it was all of that stuff is documented, and so they, re, they, they rebooted their life, and so they started a podcast uh, called The Dark Horse Podcast. Sometimes Brett does singular interviews, just him without his wife. These are f- flaming liberals that live in Portland, uh, but again, but, but, They're politically homeless now because they are so opposed to uh, what is going on in this COVID nonsense that's been happening the last couple of years. Uh, Brett uh, uh, is... uh, Oh, he, oh, he's a scientist, I was going to say. He's a scientist. This is one of the most intelligent interviews that I've heard. This is a heavyweight interview. Uh, Brett is a hyper-intelligent man, just a super thoughtful individual who is an atheist. And then Dr. Peter McCullough is a doctor, and there's some excellent insight here uh, in this interview, and I think you I know you'll benefit from it. And then the last one I'll have to do briefly. Uh, This is a book uh, that I finished, and it's by Dr. Scott Atlas. It just came out a few days ago. It's called A Plague Upon Our House the subtitle, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. I'm not going to read the blurb here. Uh, there's a couple of paragraphs that you can read if you wish. But Scott Atlas was tapped to be part of the task force with Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, and he was—and he gives a— a behind-the-scenes look of what went on in the early months of the task force, and there's a lot. There's a lot in this book. I will say, say this, though. The book was too pro-Trump, uh, and I didn't care for that. Uh, it, it just came across as Trump was perfect. And that part of the book, I just, I, I didn't like, but it's, it's like anything else that you read. Again, if you're so triggered by stuff, you know, there's a deeper issue with you that you have to deal with. But if you can listen to stuff or read stuff and sort it out in your mind without being triggered, there's a lot here to process. And again, Dr. Atlas was on the task force. He was in the White House. He was part of the team with Fauci and Burks. And so he's written a book called A Plague Upon Our House. This is episode 383, Six Resources.